Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. What does it take for you to believe something or someone? What does it take for you to have confidence in something or someone? What's required for your trust to be gained? These are foundational questions that are always important when we take a prescribed medication, as we get on an airplane, when we purchase a car or buy any product, when we make an investment, when we get the news, when we cast a vote or when we allow someone to take care of our children, when we exchange marriage vows. Nearly every arena of life requires a foundation of trust, of credibility, and it's established in different ways. The field of medicine is advanced through the rigor of scientific methods and professional peer review, without which claims of efficacy and safety are not considered trustworthy. Trustworthy journalism has a code of ethics among which include fact-checking. Courts require everyone involved, the judge, witnesses, attorneys, and jurors, to take oaths. Institutions often have the important responsibility of upholding standards by which individuals and organizations can receive accreditations, without which we would have no reason to put our trust in them. One thing that seems to hold true across all these different arenas of life is that trust is inherently social. It has a social structure that goes beyond being interpersonal. What I mean is that trust is confirmed and authenticated within community by society. Even the most intimate vows of marriage require a third-party witness. Today, however, more and more of the burden of discerning what is true information and what is disinformation, what is true news and what is fake news, who is a real person and who is a bot, what is a large social movement and what has been hyped by algorithms, what is an authentic image and what is a deep fake is being placed on our own two shoulders. The internet and social media allow for disinformation to spread to the extent that now, burden, now the burden of examining the trustworthiness of nearly everything and everyone rests on each of us all the time. On November 30th, 2022, a new app called ChatGPT came out. It's free and accessible to the public. And before I read about it in any newspaper, my daughter Sophia was showing it to me. I was in the kitchen trying to figure out what we would eat, and she was sitting in front of her laptop excitedly saying, Mom, tell me something you have to write. I told her the first thing that came to mind, a prayers of the people. She typed in a single sentence, write a prayers of the people, and she added, for fun, for Christmas Day. 
Mere seconds later, a newly composed Prayers of the People was generated on her screen. I couldn't believe it. It included very appropriate references to the birth of Christ. It was moving, but not overly sentimental. It was grammatically correct. It was well organized. It seemed like a thoughtfully prepared prayers of the people. I was astounded and distressed. While Sophia continued to play with ChatGPT, I felt the simultaneous need to catch up and to say, wait, what, what does all this mean for everything? Days later, I watched an interview of Ian Bremmer, founder and president of the global political risk research and consulting firm, Eurasia Group. He was speaking about the top risks of 2023, a forecast that Eurasia Group had just published. According to this forecast, among the greatest global risks we face is that of technology's role in disrupting society. In particular, technological advances in a new form of artificial intelligence known as generative AI, which enables programs like ChatGPT, allow users in mere seconds to create text, images, and videos that appear so realistic that it is impossible to know whether they are genuine or fake. These technologies, along with advances in deep fakes, facial recognition, and voice synthesis software, run the risk, according to Eurasia Group, of becoming weapons of mass disruption. According to Eurasia Group's forecast, these advances represent a step change in AI's potential to manipulate people and sow political chaos. When barriers to entry for creating content no longer exist, the volume of content rises exponentially, making it impossible for most citizens to reliably distinguish fact from fiction. Disinformation will flourish and trust the already tenuous basis of social cohesion, democracy, and commerce will erode further. According to Eurasia Group, demagogues, populists, and political actors will utilize these tools to manipulate electorates and authoritarian regimes will use them to surveil society even more. The proliferation of AI will have profound implications beyond politics too. Companies in every sector will contend with new reputational risks when key executives or accounts are impersonated with malicious intent, triggering public relations scandals and even stock sell-offs. Generative AI will make it difficult for businesses and investors to distinguish between genuine engagement and sentiment on the one hand and sabotage attempts by hackers, activists, investors, or corporate rivals on the other. Citizen activists, trolls, or anyone in between will be able to create, cause corporate crises by generating large enough volumes of high quality tweets product reviews, online comments, and letters to executives to simulate mass movements in public opinion. With their ability to imitate human intelligence, the way we think, speak, and write, 
as well as the way we sound and the way we look, where we appear to be and what we appear to be doing and with whom, no longer can any of us take for granted the critical question, what is required for us to trust something or someone? If you ever did take this question for granted, you can't afford to do so anymore. If you do, you will sooner than later be duped. You will be manipulated. The church has never been able to take this question or any questions about trust for granted. At its origins and still today, the church is a community that has been formed by testimony, not only by the invitation of Jesus to come and see, but also by the testimony of those who first saw Jesus. Like us, those early eyewitnesses of Jesus had to concern themselves with the question, is this person really the Son of God? How can we trust him and what he says about the kingdom of God? How can we trust him enough to follow him? It has always been important for the church's testimony to be trustworthy and true. And when it has failed to be trustworthy, it has done great damage. In the liturgical life of the church, these questions are first raised in the 10 Sundays that take Epiphany as their reference point. The lectionary texts for these Sundays acknowledge that the birth of Jesus alone was never enough to convince us that Jesus was the Son of God. Even Mary was left pondering in her heart what she knew about Jesus. Last week, we heard about the baptism of Jesus, in which Matthew tells us, Suddenly, the heavens were opened, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove to land upon Jesus, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This was to serve as the first public revelation of who Jesus was. In today's lectionary text from the Gospel of John, we find John the Baptist giving testimony to what he saw. John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. With this testimony, John the Baptist encourages his own disciples to stop following him and to start following Jesus instead. Watching Jesus walk by, John exclaims to them, Look, here is the Lamb of God. In the passage we heard today, it's easy to miss the fact that the Greek word remain is used five times. Sometimes the word is translated in English as to abide or to stay. It is a word that the Gospel of John uses again and again to describe life with Jesus. Remember in chapter 15 when Jesus says to his disciples, abide or remain 
in me as I abide in you. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Abide in my love just as I abide in his love, and so on. For the Gospel of John, the whole point is to show that in Jesus' incarnation, God came to remain, to abide and stay with humanity. The first witness to this in John's Gospel was not Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and the Magi. It was John the Baptist who witnessed the Spirit descend and remain with Jesus. John's testimony then was received by his disciples, who in turn asks Jesus, Rabbi, where are you remaining? Where are you staying? When Jesus invites them, saying, come and see, they remain with him. We learn that one of the two who used to be a disciple of John is Andrew, and that Andrew goes to find his brother, Simon Peter, and tells him, we have found the Messiah, and we know that Simon Peter, too, becomes a disciple. This is how it happens. How faith in Jesus is formed. It is through trusted relationships, trusted mentors, family members, and friends, and their trustworthy testimony. We can't get to Jesus without going through a trustworthy witness. But it's not merely enough to be introduced to Jesus. We must stay with him. His invitation is not only to come and see, but it is followed with his invitation to taste and see. Though the crowds of people coming to hear Jesus teach and to see Jesus perform miracles would eventually grow larger and larger, Jesus knew that genuine discipleship would ultimately take a greater discrimination and discernment on our part. As the Gospel of John tells us later, Jesus knew that very few people would be able to actually drink from the cup that he drank from. Still, Jesus invited them to remain with him, to stay with him in the garden. And though his disciples let him down even there, Jesus promised to send them the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that descended upon him in his baptism, so that they would finally be empowered to abide with him and with one another. This is how much Jesus wants to remain to abide with us. And he wants our relationship with him and with one another to be trustworthy and true. So he says to his disciples, I will send to you the spirit of truth who comes from the Father, who will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. We are living in a time when the difficulty in distinguishing truth from falsehood is a global risk. The responsibility to learn how to be discriminating and to seek the truth about reality cannot be taken for granted and now more than ever rests on each person. It is a daunting challenge and I wonder what we will learn. Will communities learn 
that local news is indispensable and therefore we should invest in it? Will schools reinstate civics as part of their curriculum? Will institutions resist the pressure to reduce themselves into platforms? Will individuals pay closer attention to local elections? Will we see a burgeoning of civic organizations? What else might help to build up the trust that societies need? The arena in which I have learned most about the social nature of trust is the church. Not because churches everywhere have been paragons of trustworthiness, which we know, unfortunately, is not the case. Rather, the church is the community that simply cannot take trust for granted. Trust is what makes everything possible in the church. Not one thing could be possible in the church without it. The integrity of testimony and witness, a mission that is bigger than any one of us could accomplish alone. Our life together, serving and caring for one another. It is through this community, when we come together and stay together week after week, that I am reminded of and nurtured in what is real. It is with you that I learn what real community looks like, feels like, can be like. It is with you that I learn what is trustworthy and true. For this gift and the real source of hope for the world, let us give thanks. Amen. <clears throat>